Welcome to the Greater Possibilities podcast from Invesco, where we put concerns into context and opportunities into focus. I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. It's December, and we've decided to use our last podcast of the year to answer the most frequently asked questions that we've heard throughout 2023. And we've asked Turgut Kishinbai, Chief U.S. Economist for Invesco Fixed Income, to join us in answering those questions. Last one of the year, Jody? It is. Oh, good. So um, I guess a little hiatus for a couple of weeks. I feel like one of those late night talk show hosts, like a Jimmy Kimmel or something. We, we get to do a little hiatus here. All right. Well, don't get too excited because we're going to be back before you know it at the start of the year. Yeah, I figured so. Um, but we'll enjoy it while it's here. So I guess I'll ask you, what are some of those questions you think you want to ask Target? Well, first and foremost, does he think the U.S. is going to have a recession in 2024? Yeah, that one seems to be pretty popular. And why didn't we have one in 23? Can we have a, a soft landing? Um, you know, these are the most frequently asked. So yep. I guess that's like most a popular it's like questions. Most popular. Yeah, it's like a high school superlative. So <laughs> instead of smartest student, prettiest eyes, we'll go with most asked questions here. Something like that. Well, OK, Brian, so did you win any superlatives in high school? No. No, I peaked in middle school. I, in middle school, I won um, most energetic, although I'm not sure in hindsight if that's good or bad. Yeah, no, that's a nice way of saying you drove the teachers crazy. Yeah, I think I did. Anyway, um, you? You win any? Uh, I did. I did. Um, I was actually named most likely to succeed in high school. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. So fun fact, though, uh, I mean, the first thing I noticed when I got the award was that succeed was misspelled. So, Ooh, you know, irony. I suppose no big surprise I became an editor, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. And now you get to host the Greater Possibilities podcast. I so I would I'm say your classmates dream. your classmates could not have been more spot on. They nailed it. But, but I digress. digress. But yeah, I digress. digress. All right. We like right. digressing here. <laughs> we do. We do. So question two, right? Right after the recession question. Question two, what's the Fed going to do? And question three, have interest rates peaked? And if so... Where are they heading? Right. And how long does it take to normalize the curve? Um, how should we be invested for it? It, it all seems, uh, those all seem to be the, what should we say, the superlative the questions? Most popular. What about the, most popular. What about the dollar? Has it peaked? Sure. Can we expect a new dollar environment? What does that mean for international investments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That's it. That's it. Those are the questions. So, Let's bring on Turgut. I don't know which superlative he might have received in high school, but I know he has a PhD in economics. So we're just going to leave it at that. Leave it at I, I, I would have thought PhD in economics means that he won the life of the party. Of the party. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask him. We can add that to our list. Welcome, Turgut. Yeah, Turgut, welcome. Hi, hi. Hi, Jody and Brian. Thank you. Thank you. It's good, it's good to have the life of the party here. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have the life of the party. I was maybe uh, earlier. Brian, I, I think I peaked earlier than you in the primary <laughs> school. And uh, I was really energetic at the time. And then adolescence happened and I got introverted and uh, shy. And I'm trying to recover that uh, from that all my life. That's, well, not shy enough to be a podcast guest, which is, which is great. I've been told this is the place to be. This is maybe where I'm going to do my takeoff. It's the coming out party. <laughs> So, Target, why why not a recession in, in 23 and how surprised were you by it? 
Um, so we were not surprised. Our baseline was no recession and some some sort of uh, soft landing, which we can discuss what, what that is. But uh, we didn't expect the recession in, uh, in Mexico fixed income IFI because, because this is actually not a, not a typical cycle. This is not a typical economic cycle. In most cycles, obviously, there are differences and not all of them are the same. But in most cycles, there is a leverage component. Households, corporates borrow quite a bit during an expansion and the economy overheats, we get inflation. At that point, central banks in the US Fed hikes interest rates. And then all of this is uh, reversed with high levels of debt and uh, difficulty to basically uh, handle that at high interest rates. That creates a downward spiral, defaults, delinquencies, and all that. This is the household and uh, corporate side. Of course, there's the financial side. Usually banks are exposed uh, to, to that cycle. So then that makes the cycle even worse, right? This downward spiral is, is challenging. This cycle was different. We didn't have that. Unusual for a cycle, we actually have incomes uh, increasing during the cycle and debt levels not increasing or actually decreasing, credit card and others. Uh, we didn't have a leverage cycle even in the previous expansion before the pandemic because uh, we had the GFC, global financial crisis, a big housing bubble and, 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 a, and a big mess. But after that, households didn't borrow that much relative to their incomes. We learned our lessons, huh? We learned our lessons. Banks were prudent and tightly regulated, so high capital ratios. So the, the debt to income ratios are not high. In housing, actually, usually housing is a problem in cycles and housing versus the bank nexus. This time around, uh, we have actually a shortage of housing because <laughs> maybe we learned our lesson too much and there is right. not enough building in the US relative to the demographic trends. So uh, inventory was very low. And, and so none of that is there. Of course, there are pockets of uh, leverage here and there, but, but usually, most of the debt uh, of the household sector is uh, mortgages and and we have no problems there so i think that was the main reason basically sure. there are others but but the the vulnerability coming from leverage was not there jody and i both levered up to buy taylor swift tickets this summer so that that doesn't count <laughs> That that's that's less than your mortgage, I assume. Yeah, good decision though. Good decision. I don't regret it at all. Turkey, you mentioned soft landing, right? Which is a phrase that sounds awfully reassuring. But can you dig into the details about that a little bit and what that could potentially look like? Yeah. So it's not well defined, admittedly. Uh, so we can kind of narrow it down. I mean, it's definitely not a recession. It's definitely, I think, on the upside. It's not an economy that is growing above potential let's say, a high tools for a sustained period of time. And uh, it's not an economy that is where inflation doesn't come down. It's sticky, right? But within that range between a recession and no landing, there are, I think, a range of uh, outcomes that can be considered as soft landing. Um, in our case, I think maybe maybe I can go to that. In uh, Again, in, in Mexico fixed income, we have our monthly process. So we have specific GDP inflation and policy forecasts, policy Fed policy forecasts. So that's our baseline. Rather than trying to defin define what uh, soft landing is, we go with our numbers. But but I think maybe maybe I'll also tilt a little bit towards that, is, is we, we expect the economy to slow down a little uh, from two plus uh, two uh, below two, which is the potential, close to the potential. 
Uh, so a bit of a slowdown for a couple of quarters, but no recession because of the reasons we just discussed. And on the inflation side, we expect inflation to continue to come down. And, and uh, so that is, that is our definition, basically. A couple of quarters of one, one and a half percent GDP growth. Um, and then slowly growth uh, goes back up to its potential and inflation continues to come down uh, in the, uh, through, through, the, through 2024. What drives inflation down now? Is it the lagged shelter impact on the consumer price index? And if so, why does that happen? And why does the Bureau of Labor Statistics calculate it the way they do? Or is it something else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that that shelter component is by design because they want to consider all the contracts, not just the latest contracts. So there is uh, there is you have new contracts throughout the year, and uh, not the current rent is not necessarily uh, what what accrues to everybody. But but in a year you have both of them. I mean you have you have that uh, convergence towards. Um, uh, towards the market trends, uh, but there are a couple of things. Shelter is definitely a big one. Uh, we have we also try to model uh, using macro variables what drives uh, shelter inflation. So that's one in, uh, input to our process. The other one is basically the market trends and and the lag between market trends and the uh, measured CPI and other uh, indices. So that that's I think that's on track because market trends are uh, back to pre-pandemic norms uh, by some measures. It's actually even lower by some measures. It's right there. But uh, what do you mean by market trends? Market trends for, for prices? So current market trends are running uh, close to, let's say, uh, 4% year on year. New rents, okay. whereas the CPI measure will be 7, 6, 7. Where I don't know. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Right? So, that, yeah. uh, so eventually, uh, if the current rents, new rents are back to pre-pandemic levels, a year from now, or, or something like that, uh, the measured uh, inflation will also converge to, to pre-pandemic levels, which was three and a half to four. If you want to be on the conservative side, you can say 4%, but it could be lower given that uh, we market trends are back to uh, where, where they were. That's one component. The other one is uh, we have goods deflation now, and we, we expect that to continue. That was the norm uh, in the uh, last 10, 15 years. Uh, goods prices come down because of improvements in technology, because of globalization. So we don't expect the same outcome because globalization may have peaked and uh, these low cost producers are not necessarily as low cost as th they were before. But we also had very inflated prices. Uh, for example, car prices and used car prices, uh, <laughs> those are really, really high. Uh, so I think they will come down for two reasons. First, the prices are high. Second, global supply is improving substantially. Uh, so that is the other reason. Supply improving. It's expensive to buy a new or used car now because of uh, financing costs. So if you look at car sales, uh, we had two years of shortages of cars. So car sales came down from 17 million to 15 million for, for a long time. So that means that there's pent up demand probably. Uh, but despite that, and despite the improving supply, we don't see a in increase in car sales. It's going sideways. I think the reason is because A, cars are very expensive, and B, uh, relative to incomes, so you can't just go and buy the cash. And if you want to borrow, it's very costly to borrow. So that that is uh, so we expect deflation in car, and that's cars, new and used cars. 
that is another driver. And I, I just want to generalize a little bit to the rest of the goods side. Uh, during the pandemic, the there were demand and supply imbalances. So we, we consumed a lot of uh, home uh, exercise equipment and new electronics <laughs> because kids were at home and studying from home. We were working from home. Uh, we were at home all the time and you have money uh, because we didn't lose incomes. And then you look at the furniture that you're sitting all day and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to buy a new one. So there was a, a very high level of consumption on home goods and furniture and that kind of uh, that kind of goods uh, relative to services. So that's also normalizing. So there are two components of that. First, the, the demand. We consumed so much, so now we yeah, do we a little bit less. Yeah, we bought too yeah. much. What, what else is there to buy? How many computers do you need? You know, it's new. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did, I, here's, my, here's my holiday gift. 32-inch, um, $75 television, smart TVs. I'm, I'm like wallpapering the house with them. So there's still demand, of course, but uh, <laughs> just me, just me. I don't even watch television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the aggregate, uh, so th those kind of goods uh, consumption has going been going sideways. So the demand has been satiated to some extent. It's not collapsing. It's just not growing as it used to, and and supply improved substantially. So that imbalance that was created that was a pandemic problem. That's also improving. And, and finally, on inflation, uh, we, we also look at uh, the labor market is slowing down. We have trackers for wage growth that's slowing down. It's not where, uh, what, where, where the Fed wants wage growth to be. That's not where the ideal level, but it's still, we are talking about uh, inflation at the levels, the five, 6% levels, coming down to below four and eventually below three. So current wage growth is consistent with that. Jody, that's that's a bummer for us. Well, what's a bummer for me is I bought a used car this year, so of course the prices were destined. And <laughs> your wages are to... slowing. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I saved up that demand as long as I could, but at some point you have to get from point A to point B. Yeah, you're so not walking. You right? just you just had to do it. But <laughs> so so Target, what is all this? add up to in terms of the Fed and what they're going to do next, right? Are they done hiking rates? And, and when could we potentially see cuts? Yes, they're done hiking rates. Uh, I think this is now becoming market consensus too, because uh, again, just going, going back to our baseline, which is economy slows down a little bit for a variety of reasons, but including because of tight policy uh, and a slowing uh, labor market. Uh, so a couple of quarters of slow growth and inflation is coming down for the reasons we discussed. So Fed is now uh, in a position to cut rates. When? Um, so again, one or two quarters, couple of more or, or maybe more inflation prints. We penciled in May, not March, which is uh, being debated now, but May because I think there will be enough macro evidence on, on this inflation and also on, on a slowing economy. At that point, if the economy is growing, let's say 1.5 and inflation is 3%, uh, that's 4.5% nominal growth, whereas the risk-free rate in the economy will be 5.3. That's very high uh, to sustain. So I think at that point, the Fed will be in a position to slowly cut interest rates, not aggressively. That is such a critical point. I really love the way you explain that with regards to where the risk-free rate is versus the nominal growth. Because what I hear from people 
when when they hear rate cuts by March or May or June or or whenever next year, their minds immediately go to 2020 or 2008, where you had to yeah. immediately bring interest rates to zero. And so it seems like investors, even though you had one in 2019, you had a 94, 95 rate cut, investors seem to have forgotten that the Fed will try to fine tune this. They won't necessarily wait for a disaster to cut interest rates. Because I keep, yeah. hear, I would say if we're talking about frequently asked questions, I'm getting all the time now well, what happens between now and May that they have to cut interest rates? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's yes, if, if our baseline is correct, if we get a soft landing, then the, the current policy will be too tight. And if we don't get a recession, but there is still a case for gradually re removing monetary accommodation. That's, uh, that's, that's our story. And they stick that landing. No recession, 24, yeah, maybe yeah. even 25? No, because, well, I mean, assuming that they will uh, gradually uh, cut rates as, as we expect. Uh, we also don't expect them to cut very aggressively. The currently market is pricing in five cuts, which I think is not a soft landing, uh, consistent with soft landing. I mean, we need to remember that there's still segments of the market that expect the recession so that's their pricing obviously the market pricing is a weighted average of different opinions uh but i think five uh four five is a bit too much and here is the reason if our baseline is correct if the economy manages to slowly you know gradually slow down with with also this inflation uh markets will see that and uh and the financial conditions will will change uh, substantially for example uh bank lending right the surveys are telling us that banks are still tightening uh, lending conditions credit is more difficult to get uh so those will start to change uh equity market may react to that uh, you know risk assets may may like that and maybe that may be too much but you know we are talking about may and june here inflation is still higher than fed's target they have to be cautious so they will talk hawkish but uh, and but i don't think they will they will be hawkish but they just need to basically lean against the the uh, markets a little bit that's why we are we don't expect a lot of cuts but measured uh, amount of guts. Basically, Fed will follow the market here, but it's good for risk assets. So, Turgut, you know, we mentioned obviously at the top of the show that you're positioned within Invesco fixed income. So for income seeking investors in particular, right? I mean, this is, this is a lot going on and a lot to think about for the years. So, you know, in your opinion, you know, trying to position a portfolio in times like these and changing conditions, you know, how might income seeking investors think about all this? So this is peak interest rates for us. Uh, you know, you have volatility around whatever the long-term rate is, but basically inflation has peaked and coming down and Fed, Fed also, Fed rates will also come down. So macro drivers will, I think, mean that uh, interest rates will be uh, peakish around here. And it's, it's uh, I mean, the speed of decline, and it, even if it's stable, even if interest rates are stable, you, you, you earn your income. So it's pretty Lock attractive, in. I think. Yeah, right. Lock, lock, them, lock in. them in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's true globally too, by the way. Um, Europe is in stagnation. It will be a while for them to, I think, catch up with the potential. 
Um, so I think the inflation has peaked uh, in uh, almost everywhere that I can I can think of now. Uh, so that also means uh, lower interest rates. Uh, global factors will those I think support uh, stable or lower interest rates. You mentioned international. So it it's been a a while where investors have preferred U.S. dollar assets. Uh, so implicit in your point would have to be perhaps the end of a dollar cycle, the time to look around to see where other opportunities may exist? Yeah. I mean, I think it's um, global assets do well when global growth uh, improves. And, and when there is a recession or a risk factor, uh, dollar is the safe asset and people come back to dollar assets. So uh, if our outlook is correct, and that's also Imesco broad Imesco outlook that we expect the recovery next year in 2024 globally, uh, maybe more in the second half, but markets anticipate uh, uh, developments. So if global growth uh, picks up, that's generally good for global assets. Uh, emerging market assets are uh, kind of high beta to global growth. Uh, there are also a couple of other things that support uh, emerging markets, uh, local assets, uh, local and uh, dollar based too. But uh, they were emerging markets were the first uh, or early to hike interest rates because given their inflation histories, they're more sensitive to inflation developments. Uh, and inflation is now uh, coming down in these countries, and they are also in a position to cut interest rates, uh, which is just kind of attractive for local bonds. And finally, uh, during this pandemic and then war, uh, global assets were not the most favored. Uh, we, we had seen years of uh, or a prolonged period of outflows from emerging market assets. And now that's kind of, I think there is, it's basically positioning is not there. Everybody is, uh, most people are underweight or at least they don't have enough global and emerging market assets. If the environment changes, I think there's also room uh, for, for growth there. That's great. Um, anything, anything you worry about as we head into the year? I mean, anything that could potentially go wrong or are you feeling pretty sanguine about these views? So, I mean, as an economist, like, I guess part of our job is to worry about things. We worry. Right? Yeah, we worry. Uh, on economics, uh, I, I mean, one risk, I mean, not these days, but one risk is, of course, inflation uh, remains, or it is, inflation is sticky, doesn't come down. And then uh, we, uh, so we have another round of hikes. Uh, that was maybe a risk like uh, six months ago. Uh, but, but now I think uh, generally, Inflation developments are going in the right direction. Uh, we have energy prices coming down, food prices coming down, supply sites improving. Um, so those those uh, look good to me. Uh, the risk, another risk, is of course central banks uh, uh, do not ease policy uh, when it's warranted, and they they remain too hawkish too long. Um, uh, I I'm not worried about that, but there is a, that the risk is there. Um, so that that's another risk. Uh, uh, let me underline that they have to remain a little bit, uh, at least in rhetoric, they have to be a little hawkish because of the past mistakes, right? I mean, they said this is transitory and all that, and we had 10% inflation in Europe, in the <laughs> US. So they cannot Credibility afford... matters. Credibility matters. So they will they will be uh, they'll be cautious, and that's that's a bit of a risk. Jody, I don't know. It sounds to me like a happy and healthy New Year. I I, I think I'm going to stop it. Yes, on this one. 
Yeah, a great way to end the year. <laughs> I was going to ask you, you know, in that bucket of et cetera, et cetera, did we get to all of your et cetera questions? But I think we always did. Good. Maybe even a, a couple of et ceteras I didn't expect to get to. There we go. All right. Well, thank you very much, Turgut. We really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure, Turgut. Thanks for having me. That was fun. That was fun. All right. So, Brian, where can our listeners follow you for more? Well, first, Jody, happy and healthy to you and your family. And yours as well. Thank you. And visit Invesco.com slash Brian Levitt to read my latest commentaries. And of course, you can follow me on LinkedIn and on X at Brian Levitt. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of December 8th, 2023 and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with any of the companies or individuals mentioned herein. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Fixed income investments are subject to credit risk of the issuer and the effects of changing interest rates. Interest rate risk refers to the risk that bond prices generally fall as interest rates rise and vice versa. An issuer may be unable to meet interest and or principal payments, thereby causing its instruments to decrease in value and lowering the issuer's credit rating. The risks of investing in securities of foreign issuers, including emerging market issuers, can include fluctuations in foreign currency, political and economic instability, and foreign taxation issues. In general, stock values fluctuate sometimes widely in response to activities specific to the company, as well as general market, economic, and political conditions. Market trends for rents represented by U.S. apartment real estate effective rates from Moody's Analytics CRE as of September 30, 2023. References to the CPI measure and rent inflation refers to the yearly percent change in CPI shelter prices from the Bureau of Labor Statistics as of October 31, 2023. Car sales from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis as of November 30, 2023. Wage growth from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics as of October 31, 2023, based on yearly percent change in average hourly earnings. The risk-free rate is based on the federal funds rate from the U.S. Federal Reserve as of November 30, 2023. Information on how many interest rate cuts the market is pricing in is from Bloomberg, based on Fed Fund Futures as of November 30, 2023. U.S. inflation sourced from the Bureau of Labor Statistics as of November 30, 2023. The peak rate of the U.S. Consumer Price Index was in June 2022. The yield curve plots interest rates at a set point in time of bonds having equal credit quality but differing maturity dates to project future interest rate changes and economic activity. An inverted yield curve is one in which shorter-term bonds have a higher yield than longer-term bonds of the same credit quality. In a normal yield curve, longer-term bonds have a higher yield. Bank capital ratios are their capital divided by assets. Gross domestic product, or GDP, is a broad indicator of a region's economic activity, measuring the monetary value of all finished goods and services produced in that region over a specified period of time. Nominal economic growth is inclusive of inflation, while real economic growth is not. 
Fed's funds futures are financial contracts that represent the market's opinion of where the Fed funds rate will be at a specific point in the future. The federal funds rate is the rate at which banks lend balances to each other overnight. Safe haven assets are investments that are expected to hold or increase their value in volatile markets. Beta is a measure of risk representing how a security is expected to respond to general market movements. The U.S. Consumer Price Index, or CPI, measures change in consumer prices as determined by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Core CPI excludes food and energy prices, while headline CPI includes them. The Greater Possibilities podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.